Hey, everybody, everybody, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, February 5th, 2024. February's coming in with a bang. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyard and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. And you also help out the show right now. Head over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you'll know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. If you're looking for more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check out the RickSmithShow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And the Sisters of the Night Caucus, ooh, they're fantastic. Got to check out their podcast, The Amazing PA Women Stirring the Political Cauldron Behind This Podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at The Night Caucus. That's at The Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by... This guy right here, yours truly. Twice a month, the signal shines a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. And in case you missed it, The Beacon also just launched its new Gen Z focused and hosted podcast called The Civic Circle. Yeah, The Civic Circle is hosted by Bucks County Gen Z lens folks. Sarah Zhang, Mallory Marzen, and Alexandra Coffey. They're students from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Once a month, they talk about activism, advocacy, and all the political happenings affecting their generation today. You can check out that at the civiccircle.podbean.com or check out the signal at the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com. And attention all you gamers out there. The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based Black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything for Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops and kids get discounts when they get A's in their report cards. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at the game in that's with two ends. Got a question about a game. Look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at the at gmail.com. 
Shout out, of course, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. You check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. Again, two N's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Well, we got a very special show today, everybody. On today's show, we're taking a break from our focus on PA to take a trip up north to the central New York region. Yes, the place I grew up, where it all started. We'll be talking to James Myers, a Democrat running for the New York State Senate in the 53rd District. The 53rd is significantly different following New York's redistricting in 2022. The 53rd now includes my hometown of Utica, includes some of it before, Utica, New York, and Myers hopes to defeat Republican Joseph Griffo in this fall's general election. This is an opportunity that is presenting itself, and so we thought we'd kind of get in right on the ground floor. Myers is running for the 53rd New York State Senate District with the aim of bringing a fresh approach to representing central New Yorkers in their state government. He's a veteran with a strong background in service and leadership. He grew up in a working class environment in an upstate New York and a family who dedicated their professional lives to the service of others. After graduating from SUNY Brockport via ROTC scholarship with a degree in history, he accepted a commission into active service as an intelligence officer of the United States Army. He currently holds the rank of major in the Army Reserve. While serving with the U.S. Army Reserve, he earned his master's degree in strategic intelligence. His military service led to a position with Allianz Science and Technology, a government contracting firm in Rome, New York where he was responsible for the management and completion of million-dollar projects. His love for Central New York and the influence of his family, his education, his military career, and his civilian experience, James is motivated to serve the community with the same passion and dedication he has, has and continues to serve our country. Myers is running on a platform of transparency, accountability, and putting the needs of his constituents first. He's an advocate for public safety, economic development, accessible and affordable health care. Who... Can't wait to get into this. James, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you, Kevin, and uh, all your viewers, and those, uh, appreciate that introduction. Hey, you got it. You, you, you know, I'm I'm thrilled. Like, this is, uh, it's great to have, you know, I mean, I always look for opportunities to connect and we'll see what's happening on uh, kind of back at the hometown, as it were. Yeah. Um, and I, I should, by full disclosure, we've got uh, a Sean Mahoney. I don't know if you recognize <laughs> that last name. Sean Mahoney working as your campaign manager. Um, That's right. Which is, uh, <laughs> which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and it's like so great to have this opportunity to really shine a light on a, a really interesting and intriguing moment in the politics of uh, the region. Yeah, no, it's a it's an exciting time. I think you know all across the country. Of course, we're going into a, quite the year from from presidential all the way down. I'm, I'm sure uh, we all we all know that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to as, as you mentioned, uh, being able to one introduce myself to both well your viewers, and I'm beginning to introduce myself to a lot of the folks here right in right in my region um, as they've been represented by the same gentleman for quite a long time and, and we're looking for a change. So I'm, I'm excited to hopefully be that, that guy that can bring it and explain to well, both your viewers and folks up here. Why? Absolutely. So, I mean, give you've already kind of done part of it for me, like say, like explain it here, reaching out to people, but I want to think, give you the opportunity. Like I gave you a little bit of bio, gave you the resume version, right? Yeah. Here's kind of some of the background, but I'm really interested and in, for you to kind of introduce yourself um, to folks who may be listening to this and our podcast or watching a kind of live stream um, now. And again, anybody who's watching the live stream now, feel free to kind of uh, um, comment and uh, pose your questions, be happy to kind of take them. 
But um, can you talk a little bit about just kind of that background that we heard a little bit about um, kind of in the intro and kind of what got you to this point? You know, what gets you to guy going through the army, then kind of making it into private sector um, and now just making this decision to kind of step forward um, again in that line of service and uh, kind of run for office? Sure, of course. Thank yeah, and thanks again. Yeah, so I mean, to me, and this I tell people might sound a little cliche, but I it, to me it's not, and it's important to me, which is just that idea of service, right? I mean, I I haven't really known anything else since um, 19 years old. I I met a guy that I worked with at a local grocery store who said, "Hey, you ever thought about joining the army?" And I said, "No, actually, I, I haven't." But you know, so he introduced me to ROTC at SUNY Brockport outside mm-hmm. of outside of Rochester, New York. That's where I was going to college. I was getting my history degree at the time. And, you know, to be fair, what was also um, a benefit was, hey, we can help pay for school. You can, you know, maybe see the world. And I said, you know, that sounds like something I could be interested in. And and I I, I got involved with ROTC there and I never looked back. I actually very much enjoyed the time I spent at Brockport. I met some wonderful people, honestly, from the folks that ran the ROTC program to the folks that I uh, was in school with. There was some some great people out there, and it kind of hooked me into this life of service, I suppose. And you know, from from when I commissioned, uh, and that was that was 2010 when I commissioned into the into the army uh, as an active duty intelligence officer. Uh, I served on four years. I served on active duty for four years after that, from uh, 2010 to 2015. Live was able to experience a lot of things. Lived a lot of places. Um, most of that time, my, my full-time duty was in Fort Gordon, Georgia. I was with the 513th Military Intelligence Brigade uh, down in the Augusta, Augusta Georgia area. Mm-hmm. Had a tour, tour overseas uh, where I served in, in Jordan um, in 2013 during that time. Then I always knew that I would likely get off of active duty after that time, but I always wanted to continue. I had looked at uh, opportunities in the National Guard and in the reserves. And when I, when I left active duty in 2014. Actually, had a brief, brief stint where I lived in I lived in Maine for a short time. I was in a relationship with someone that was from Maine, and I I found a job with uh, a company that you had mentioned actually in the intro, Alliance Science and Technology. They had a location in Bath, Maine, doing shipbuilding work, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there for a short time. And then they said uh, we have a location in Rome, New York, and I knew that was for me. That was a good good place to be because it was close to where I grew up, closer than I had been in a while. And I moved back uh, to to the upstate New York area. And, and I felt like this region was very similar to where I grew up. And I met a lot of great people. So I moved, I did move back here in 2015, worked at, worked at uh, Alliance since then, uh, and continued to serve in the reserve component since then. So I'm now, uh, like I said, a, ma- a major in the Army Reserve, uh, been serving since uh, 2015 in that capacity and continued to uh, work, like I said, at uh, Alliant managing contracts up in size up to $10 million. So uh, I just wanted to bring that service um, aspect. I've always been interested in, in government and politics. Uh, I, As I've been here too, I've volunteered for multiple campaigns since I've lived here too, right? So I worked on a couple congressional campaigns, and then I worked locally last year on a mayoral campaign. And ever since then, that just kind of gave me that bug to continue that service. And I said, I would always wanted to do something myself. And this year really gave me that opportunity to be able to, to step up 
uh, this year and do that. So I know that's kind of a long-winded, a little bit of a long-winded answer, but it's a, it's a road that has taken me here, uh, and that's uh, where I am now. No, and I got to say, something about your background really stuck out to me when I was, you know, kind of getting familiar with your bio and kind of some of your history there, too, as well, is, you know, we've seen really significant changes and transformations throughout the kind of Mohawk Valley. I mean, we see, you know, SUNY Tech kind of getting up there and this becoming a hub. We see chip manufacturers locating here. We see the transformation of Griffiths Air Force Base from that kind of, you know, what I'm... I grew up kind of saying, knowing how long, how far I live from Griffiths, because that was going to be one of the first targets that was be targeted in nuclear war. So we knew how many seconds we would have to survive. And you go to Ilian because it's downdraft, all this kind of stuff. But there's been a significant transformation. And I think that, you know, the kind of experience that you have working in this tech field, working in the intelligence field um, and outside of that area where you're kind of bringing that kind of expertise to back at a time when that seems to be uh, really exploding in terms of its uh, kind of economic development and so on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think this is a, when you look at the kind of job opportunities that are going to, that are here now and in the future, uh, the things like the chip factory that we see here, it's in, in Marcy, New York, that's a, that's Wolf Speed has come in here and there's a lot of job openings right now that we're, are, are looking to be filled, which can be a big boom for this area. And then, you know, because it's something you mentioned, too, and a lot of people mentioned this to me, like, I didn't, I didn't live here yet in the early 90s, but I've talked to so many people about that time and what this area was when the base was, when it was an active duty Air Force base. And we're getting back to that, yeah. you know, people feel that again, the ability to get back to that with how many tech companies are here in that Griffiths Corridor um, and outside of it, the drone, there's a drone corridor here now. There's only a few in the country. And one of those is here, right? So we're talking about, you know, technological advancement that uh, most people don't, th when they think of upstate New York, unless you're, you're here and you're part of this, I think we need to sell that story to people so they understand like, hey, maybe I want to, maybe I want to move to Utica, New York or upstate yep. New York or outside of Syracuse because there are good jobs there. Absolutely. So, I mean, and, and so that's why I just think that that seems like such a good fit, just more kind of more broadly, right, in terms of a broader understanding of kind of what's actually happening in the area and moving. Because, you know, I was one of these folks that kind of left the area in the 90s, like when everything seemed like, OK, everything's gone, everything's shuttered up, everything's going here to see this boon and this revival happening right at this time. Some of your experience coming here makes a lot of sense. So let me, you know, before we get into specifics of your platform, I'm just curious for especially for folks who are who are not from from the 53rd, right? People might be listening to my show here in Pennsylvania and so on. New York State had a huge redistricting um, um, process happen in 2022. Yeah. And the 53rd district is not the 53rd district of the 2022 election. This is a completely new district. So I was wondering if you just, what are kind of your thoughts about the composition of this new district that you're running in and what may be some of the kind of the, the challenges or opportunities of kind of putting, you know, kind of putting your hat in the race at this point? Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for that, Kevin, because I think that is an important, very important point here. So in, in, in some a little bit of more background, too, on the incumbent that is currently in this district. So Joe, Joe Griffo is, has held the seat that encompasses at least the Utica and Rome area since 2008 as a state senator, mm -hmm. uh, running unopposed since 2010. So I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity just in, in that aspect. But th this is the first year, as you mentioned, that this... Uh, that these lines have been redrawn. So the district used to go all the way up to Canada and that, that he represented, and that was the 47th 
district. Well, now uh, he represents the 53rd district, which includes still Utica and Rome. However, it goes much farther south of Utica and it goes much farther west of Utica, almost to the Syracuse line. So it includes all of Oneida County, all of Madison County, and a small portion of Chenango County, and actually three townships in Herkimer County. Um, so it's it's much different than it was. And I in, in my mind, I look at that as an opportunity because yeah. uh, Senator Griffo has not represented the folks out in Hamil- in Madison County, out closer to Syracuse in all of those years that he has been uh, a state senator. He's he's clearly he has represented Utica and Rome and he has a bit of a foothold in there. But that's something I think we can overcome the. The, the numbers, too, of registered, even just registered Democrats compared to registered Republicans is in is in our favor. Um, it, it's something that as long as I can get in front of those folks and, act, and introduce myself, both folks that he has represented a while that haven't had another choice for one, right. um, and now they will, to folks that don't know him, that the, the opportunity is for me to introduce myself and kind of infiltrate uh, those, those areas. Yeah, and I think that, you know, kind of exactly what you pointed to, too. I mean, this the fact that somebody has gone unchallenged for so long, right, um, is something that so many of us are familiar with, right, that uh, especially during times we had gerrymandered districts. And if anybody looks at, uh, there's great comparisons kind of online. Uh, you use, check out all the uh, New York State websites and Ballopedia and stuff. They'll give you, I don't know if people will see this, but they give you the nice little comparisons here. And in the comparison maps, you'll see that the kind of original maps, uh, especially for the, 40, the 47th, was, you know, this real really like crazy looking snake kind of dragon yeah. thing going for him, right? He was all over the place. This one is much more kind of compact, much more kind of adjacent, makes sense, right? Like you said, most like Oneida County, Madison County, you know, good chunks of other counties, you know, then a couple towns over Herkimer County. That's, that's, makes a whole lot of sense just as a kind of a constituency and area that's not being kind of, you know, cherry picked for a political party, but rather getting to represent right. a particular constituency. So that's, right. that's phenomenal. And just, just to your point there. Um, so everybody knows what we're talking about. We're talking about statistics about 41% of, of the district is now a registered Democrat, 41.1% while only 26.4 Republican or 24.6 of no party preference. Now, again, don't want to overread those numbers, right? Because our politics have been in a bit of a disarray in this country for a while. And I know that is also true in central New York, but that as an opportunity to kind of, as a new person coming in, especially saying, Hey, look, we've got opportunities ahead of us. We're not looking backward. We're looking forward, right? We see the future, right? Um, together. So, um, can you talk a little about, so when you're out there talking to voters, right? I mean, you've got this, you've got this, platforms. You want to talk about transparent and accountable government, well, economic prosperity, education, workforce development. we got safe and healthy communities, veteran support, labor issues, workers' rights. Um, take us a little bit into what you see, like what the landscape looks like to you, right? Sure. As somebody who wants to come in and represent this region. And then some of the stuff about your aspect of your platform and maybe some examples of how you, you want to approach that. What are some of the kind of proposals that you're thinking about who are the people that you're talking to that you're bringing into your campaign to make yeah. sure that you're kind of listening to the people on the ground? Kind of walk us through that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, first example I'll give is uh, I went to a, a somewhat like a town hall last week that was held in Utica and it was focused on public safety. And, you know, Utica is one city in the district. It's it's the largest city. And I want to fir- I wanted to first start getting folks in Utica's uh, kind of the pulse on the 
city mm-hmm. Utica itself and understand what some of those major concerns are. And unfortunately, like I think a lot of uh, this country, um, there's an issue with with gun violence, right? So the, the majority of the comments of people in that audience was uh, our, our, our kids are not, don't feel safe, uh, especially the, the Utica City School District itself and some of the folks that, the kids that go there, and not feeling like the, you know, our, our, their representatives were addre- are addressing this issue in the best way possible. And, you know, when I think about how to address something, it, it's, it's a multifaceted issue, obviously, with a lot of ways to, you know, things that need to be done to address it. But clearly, it's not, um, again, when I look at an area that's been represented by the same person for a very long time, when you start looking at issues that aren't getting resolved, I think that means it's probably time to do something different. It's yeah. time for, for a change and to look at how we can do things better. And uh, when it comes to, to, to gun violence in particular and crime, we have to look at the root cause. There's a lot of poverty in, in Utica, New York. There's a lot of poverty in the rural areas outside of Utica, New York. So we have to address we have to address that at a, at a, at a low level. Bottom line is, you know, you can you can we need to obviously gun law gun legislation is important and making sure we, you know, the folks that shouldn't uh, have easy access to firearms don't have easy access to firearms. But you know, New York State has has a, you know we have laws on the books that are some stronger than in, in some other states in regards to that. So that can't be the only way we look at this, right? So looking at looking at poverty, looking at our mental health um, resources yeah. in the area, I think is a huge aspect of that. And we have to look at that starting from the schools. Are we are we are we resourcing our school districts with the right mental health prof- enough mental health professionals? And I've talked to Folks that say no, right? The, the administration officials that they're not getting the resources they need. There's not enough social workers in schools. There's not enough psychologists in schools, and and I think it's a that that's somewhere we can we can start, right? Are we? Is there enough after school? I mean, simple as after school activities. I mean, people were mentioning these things at those town halls, right? There's not somewhere for kids to go after school after school is over, right? And then that just leads to um, unfortunately, not always, but sometimes to, to when there's free time, there's, they're not getting into making, sometimes making the right choices. So yeah. we have to look at this holistically. And um, it seems to be the minds of most voters, right, at least in the city of Utica, uh, public safety. And looking at that in a holistic way, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When you talk about that, like safety and healthy, like in healthy communities, I mean, it's so refreshing to see those brought together in the ways of thinking about safety, right? Getting out of like, you know, okay, is safety simply a matter of kind of law enforcement, right? So, you know, we have an argument of like, is, is it just that? It's like, it's not to say that law enforcement is not important, right? Very important. But it's just say, what a community safety is, the healthy, like the health of a community is based upon so much more what you're kind of running through. You know, I'm, I'm just reminded of a recent visit to Utica and was kind of back home for the holidays and stuff. We went down into, you know, one of these vibrant areas in Utica and the brewery district, right, where you've got, you know, all sorts of kind of cool development that is happening, new stores happening, lofts being coming in. But at the same time, you go a block and a half off that click and you have homes that are falling apart. Yeah. Right. You have like it's like right next to one another. Right. And so the question over the long term really is like, you know, 
Police alone are not going to solve that, right? In order to make sure that those families can thrive on both sides of that divided development, right? We need to kind of think about a holistic development too as well, right? I mean, that becomes part of a question about health and safety of a community. Yeah, I think it's easy to sometimes make lines of what all these different policy prescriptions are, right? But almost when we, I talk about safe and healthy communities and I include publics, I'm, I'm glad you kind of caught on, right? And I'm not... In, that's how I wanted to describe it, right? I, safe and healthy communities to me is is both uh, public safety and and mental health care and yeah. public health care, but it also goes together with economic prosperity and education and workforce development. They're not all separate issues, right? They're they all go together, and that economic prosperity piece is going to be a key driving factor in bringing down that that crime and in making sure people feel safe because that. Goes right to that poverty issue we're talking about. Unless we're, unless we're empowering folks that right now might not have the economic means, and then they're they're in a spot where they're they're left to potentially uh, make choices that we they wouldn't make otherwise to that effect, right? So it all. It, yes, it, you know, it all it all goes together is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So when you're looking at that kind of economic development component, I mean, you know, it's I always find this interesting about central New York politics, too, as well, is because is that on the one hand, there's always the complaint about downstate. Right. All the mm-hmm. money goes downstate. New York gets all the money. Right. But that's the same thing. It also becomes kind of an excuse for not doing anything. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. It's like, you know, the, people throw their hands up in the air like, well, there's nothing we can do. But you seem to have kind of like a sense of really, you know, this economic development development component is going to be really important. So when you're out talking to folks, whether it's at these town halls or whether it's, you know, you're thinking, talking to other business leaders or kind of development, where do you see kind of economic development happening? Or what are some of the places that you think provide us with some, I don't know, maybe models or positive directions? How do you see that happening? Well, again, you know, jobs of, we have to start looking years ahead too at, at mm-hmm. jobs jobs of the future. And I think um, even it's something I didn't mention when we talked about uh, some of the some of the new businesses in the Griffiths area that are high tech. We also have a new hospital that just opened in, in Utica, New York. And it's a it's a high end state of the art, new brand new hospital that's yep. t- taken the place of a couple hospitals that were here previously. And and that is also bringing in a lot of new jobs and, and a lot of new folks are moving into had moved into the area because of that. So that's, you know, that's one. Uh, so healthcare is an industry that only is going to continue to to grow, I think, in this in this area. But then we we also you know, and we haven't touched on this some yet, but but climate, right? So jobs of the 100%. future, jobs of the future are going to be green jobs. I I, I hope, um, and I think that part of uh, the government's responsibility as we look as we look forward is making sure that we're positioning not just cities and downstate, but these more rural areas to foster the, what's going to be the green jobs of the future and continue to attract folks uh, to places like upstate New York, where there's a lot of, there's a lot of land out here. There's a lot of natural resources uh, and, and it's a ripe area for that as well. And it all in part of it too. And I know we had, you briefly mentioned one of my bullets is education and workforce development. We have some great education institutions in in this area, and what we call the Mohawk Valley, right up here, which yep. is this Utica Rome area, and making sure 
there's a direct pipeline from those education institutions to these jobs of the future that we're talking about, training programs, you know, that train these folks for those jobs, I think is just extremely important. And there's some of that, like there's a program I've heard of called Real Life Rosies, which was a straight <laughs> program to train women for these jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So we need we need more programs like that. Um, and that's, you know, it's also going to keep folks here rather than, you know, if you got an 18 year old that goes to a community college here, um, rather than them do that and then leave, right? Maybe go to a four-year school somewhere else and not come back, tie them to one of these, you know, these jobs of the future. So I think it, again, um, we just have to look at it as a holistic, uh, in a holistic way. Yeah. And if, you know, I look at, you know, you talk about, you know, kind of growing up in a kind of working class neighborhood, working class areas and stuff. It's, you know, as much as we hear about education as, you know, you know, the solve all thing that will, this will solve everything. Right. We also know that the the vast majority, the vast, like, first of all, you know, only about 33, 35% of people actually go on to college, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for like a four year degree in this kind of like thing. And a lot of folks, right, who grow up in working class communities will go to college, but they stay in that area, right? And what I think a lot of time, I mean, we saw this firsthand kind of growing up as people were leaving because we saw the opportunities disappearing. Mm-hmm. And for that idea to be thinking forward where you're saying, okay, look, not only can you get a good education here in community college, not only can that connect you up to some of these institutions, but we've got these organizations, we've got these businesses, we've got these opportunities for you to help build this future. And I think that's exciting, especially that, you know, keeping families together, like, especially kind of in rural areas where there's, you know, look, you, you know, that's your family and it's your kind of community, right? You want to, you, why would you want to have to kind of move to like Ohio or some other state or something like this or other part of the, uh, part of the country where you're going to, you're going to break up that community. It seems like this is going to become all the more important going, going forward. Yeah. And I, I, exactly what you said about a lot of folks, you know, and something I want to hammer too, is like you mentioned, not going a four-year degree isn't always the end all be all these trade jobs that we're going to, that we're going to need for even in these same industries, these green, the green energy industry, the semiconductor industry, we need, we need folks apprenticeships at right after high school, for instance, to get them into these into those types of positions. And, 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 and again, with education being how expensive it is a lot of times, it's, it's just not, it's, it's more beneficial many times for, for these, for students or, you know, young people to do those types of jobs rather than, rather than go to a four-year school or even get a master's degree, for instance. Well, and I'll tell you, I think, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I've been involved with the kind of union movement pretty much my entire life, right? I mean, uh, by family, like <laughs> long roots and family. Um, but then, you know, I'm, I'm a unionized faculty member now, right? I worked as an organizer with SCIU when I was a grad student up in, in Syracuse. You know, I, I worked with the American Federation of Teachers, like for a summer doing research in the higher education in DC, right? So, I mean, seeing that those kind of connections there. And I was embarrassed when I took a job at Kutztown University. I started working with this, uh, it was called the Labor Education Institute. Um, I got a, a guy was leaving, asked me if I wanted to take it over. It was my second year. I was like, what the hell? I, I'm just barely got my foot on it. But we started working with the, the Reading Area of Labor Council, which is in Berks County, Pennsylvania here. And one of the things that I learned about for the first time in my life Right. Um, even in being involved in a union family was about what apprenticeships were. 
right? And of course, Sean, of course, those are apprenticeships are, right? The fact that you, instead of going on to like a trade school where you're going to incur debt, right? As a, to learn a trade and then hopefully you're going to get a job to get a union apprenticeship job, right? To get paid and yeah. trained, yes. right? In those skills is, is, is impressive. And what they were doing in kind of Reading was they, they had a labor in the schools. They get the apprenticeship mm -hmm. programs into the schools so that, that they were saying, yes, okay, you're going to get these opportunities here, but why don't we kind of think about trying out this apprenticeship on this, on this kind of like, you know, on a short-term basis, so you can see if this is for you. And so then people became aware of it, that it, the only option wasn't college or my future's in the tank, you know? Right. No, I, I co-sign with everything you just said too. <laughs> I, I just, I hundred percent agree. I think trade jobs, union paying, union pays for training and education in, in some instances. Right. And, and those are high paying jobs with no debt. Right. I mean, that's it is it's a win win, I think, for a lot of folks. One hundred percent. So let me ask you this. So if you're kind of you know, you're out on the campaign trail, you're talking about your um, you're talking about what you hope you're talking about why you're running. What are the kind of things that you hope folks are left with? Right. What do you want them to walk out of that room or for that matter, leave this discussion right <laughs> with about what you're trying to do, why you're running and what you hope to bring to, um, you know, once you're elected to bring to the table? Yeah, I, I think I want folks to to understand that change is possible. They don't have to, we don't have to just, and I hate to use the word settle, but a little bit, right? There has been a choice. There, there hasn't been a choice in a long time. And I, I feel like I can bring some change and service to this, to this district and, and give people that and in a different perspective, right? So you know, again, as we've mentioned, Senator Griffo in particular in this race has just been in this position for a long time. And it's, um, I, I, of course, I want to be involved in public service. I think that's a notable profession and it's important, but I also come at it now with being part of the, being part of the military for many years, being part of the private sector for many years. It gives me just a bit of a different perspective and not being in that same, same role for the last 15 years, for example. So I, I think something that I've been able to develop over those years is understanding how to bring the right people together and to, I have a very diverse staff already, for example, on the, the campaign staff that I can get different ideas from because their perspectives are going to be different than, than my own, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think something that I've always found that I can that I do well, or at least I've gotten a lot of experience in doing is listening to all those different varying opinions and coming together with what might be the best solution for everybody. Right. And, and I just think that I want the people to have, to understand that they have that choice now that they're not just, you know, that the same, they don't only have again, um, one, one choice to represent them, uh, in their in their senate district so uh, and i hope that my my service too as a as a younger person someone under under 40 years old that yeah. comes in with some some vigor maybe um and you know i want to work hard for folks and i feel like i'll come at that every day um and this is a new challenge for me so i'm going to come at it with fresh again fresh eyes um and the the work ethic that i've brought to you know, being a pretty young, 
you know, I was in a leadership position since I was 20, 22 years old, commissioning into the army. Uh, And I've had to bring that work ethic and that leadership to everything I've done every day since. Uh, And I just want to continue to do that. And I think that this gives me the opportunity to do that. And, and I want to listen to the people. And I think the, the last thing I'll mention is that transparent and accountable governance piece is important to me. Yeah. And I don't think that enough of our, our elected leaders are having town halls. They're not going around talking and actively listening to every p- personnel on every corner of their district. So I think that's something I, and I mean it when I say it, that I want to listen and talk with all the folks and hear what's important to them by actively listening. So something that I do, I pledge to do when in office, even something as simple as a regular newsletter to folks so they know what I'm doing in Albany and you know they can, they can reach out to me because I want to be accessible. Um, so I think that's something that I would leave with people here that uh, and you know anyone here in this district is that uh, I'm there for them, right? It's not, this isn't something I want to do for me. Uh, this is something I want to hear and build a platform. I'm also building my platform based on what I hear from yeah. from these folks. Um, so as I crisscross this large district with these new cities, um, I'm excited to hear um, what their concerns are, what their uh, issues are, what their aspirations are, and how I can help. Well, I'll tell you that that uh, transparency and accountability piece is really <clears throat> resonates here as uh, somebody who's just gone through, been part of. Uh, some the school board wars here down in Pennsylvania, where um, part of the issue was finding book bans and finding our curriculum being changed um, with outside of the uh, of an informed public, where people had to, you know, use right to know requests in order to get basic information about what's happening in our schools, um, and. A lot of school districts in the area start realizing too is like, well, and not just school districts, but townships and things like this. Well, you know what? We just need a baseline of transparency to know what's going on. So at the very least, when issues come up, that we can approach them and we can kind of respond to them in an effective way. And, you know, I, I was saying this, uh, this is before I even knew that you were running or, you know, Sean was working on this campaign. I was talking to somebody about, uh, some of my friends down here about central New York and about my hometown, about my home area. And I said, you know, for so long, the, like the region I come through, what I was saying to them, you know, central New York is like, feels like for so long, it was a narrative of loss, right? And people had to hold on hard to things that they lost, the things mm-hmm. way used to be. And I said, what we really need now just seems to me, you guys, we feels it like right on the cusp of we need somebody who can say, not being focused on so much of what once was and what we have lost, but what could be, right? What's right in front of us? What is right around the corner? But that means that we need somebody who need a fresh face like you <laughs> to be looking forward and not backward. And it seems to me that that kind of theme in my mind is like, here you go. It's a new district. right? Yeah. You got the guy who's been representing the place forever. And you got a fresh face coming here looking forward to the future. I mean, this seems to be like like a, like a match made in heaven, I hope. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I again, a hope, hope and prosperous future for central New York is what I was talking to some folks about last week. So exactly what you're saying. I think the future is, is bright, you know, and you, you, you do unfortunately get a few of those folks that you mentioned that say, well, maybe our past, but the majority of people I talk to is starting to see it, right. It's yeah. starting to see it when they see these new jobs coming in and they see what we can do here um, based on these opportunities. So yeah, I, 
Well, wonderful. Well, listen, before I let you go, um, I don't want to keep you like too long here, but I could talk about this stuff all day long and, give, and pick your brain about it. And uh, hopefully we get further on in the race here, especially it goes on. I'd love to have you back on and talk about where things are at that point. That'd be fantastic. But right now, if you got folks that are listening or kind of just kind of just starting to pay attention to what's happening to campaigns now, uh, where can people get more information? How can they get involved? How can they help donate to your campaign? Um, what would be the most helpful for you? But let them know how they can get in touch and how they can get involved. Sure. If people want to check out a campaign website uh, first, they can go to that, which is just james-myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S.com. And that has my policy positions. That has the ability to donate if they'd be uh, like to do that. Um, and then they can even sign up to receive what we're, we're going to be sending out newsletters as we get going here. That ability to do that is on the website. And the ability to volunteer if they if they live here in this area or or not, you know, we'll be wanting to phone bank at some point and we'll be starting that as we canvas later on. So all of that is available right on James-Myers.com. Well, you know, and I'll make a special appeal for people to get, get out there and special sign up to volunteer because I can tell you firsthand what turned our district, where I am here in Pennsylvania, what, what we kind of won, completely flipped school boards, completely flipped kind of our, our county seats um, to Democratic Party control. It had everything to do with people knocking on doors and just talking to everyday people and having those conversations. That is what made the difference, having people on the ground knocking doors. So if you are in this area, you are in there, you can knock some doors, you can get out there, you go get to his web website, james-myers.com or .org? Yes, .com. .com. Head on over to that website, sign up to volunteer and get out there. And look, I know it can be intimidating, especially if you've never, ever done it before, but I can promise you you're in good hands, right? Uh, I'll speak, I'll speak, I've got family involved here. I can tell you're in good hands, <laughs> right? Get out there, knock some doors and talk to people. It's just meeting people in your community and talking about that bright future that James hopes to bring here. Well, James, is there any last words that you want to kind of bring to people before we head out? No, again, say thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. This has been great. Uh, really appreciate coming on, being able to talk to folks, both in, in your district and, and mine. And I'm just ready to get to work. And that's what we're doing up here, right? <laughs> Getting to work. 100%. Well, let's get to work, shall we, folks? Uh, James, thank you so much for coming on, uh, for coming on the show. I wish you kind of all the best. We're going to be paying attention to your race. Um, kind of always, like I said, I've got an open invitation to come back on. I've got issues that you want to talk about when I get out there. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, everybody, please do check it out, james-myers.com. Um, get that information out there. And uh, look, we're going to be following the race, and best of luck to you going forward. Thanks so much, Kevin. All right, you got it. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to remind you that you can help support this show. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. Oh, man, we got some good shows coming up here. I wish I can give you all the details, but there's just not enough time right now. So watch your socials, everybody. See ya!